Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an OSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, businesses, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. What I'm seeing now and what we must see more of, and I think this speaks directly to what can the passionate choir of folks who gather at ITC do, and that is lead. We need leaders. We need leaders who have no power, but lead simply by their example. We need leaders who have explicit power um, to lead us, to be courageous, to be brave. I think we need folks to model what Chief Justice Bridget McCormick is doing in Michigan. And, and you know, frankly, she um, is, is modeling what we need to see on every level, in every state, and at the federal level. Hello and welcome to Talk Justice, the Innovations Technology Conference Live Edition. I'm your host, Jason Taché. Every year, ITC brings together experts bridging legal aid services and technology. To close out this year's conference, we'll be taking a look back at what we learned and where we go from here as a community. To accomplish this, I'm joined by three guests. Kat Moon is the Director of Innovation Design and Lecturer in Law at Vanderbilt Law School. Elenia Sanchez Bryson is the Chief Information Officer at Legal Services of Greater Miami. And Stephen McGarity is the Executive Director for Community Legal Aid in Akron, Ohio. Thank you all for being with us. Now, Kat, I wanted to start with you by taking a look back at these last four days. What's something that you believe now that you didn't uh, when you started this conference on Monday? Oh, gosh. So um, it's very clear to me after listening to the sessions that I was able to attend that um, there is a fire and momentum that um, I think was definitely spurred on by the pandemic. And in this weird way, I think we got a sense of confidence about what we can do that didn't exist before. And I think that's gonna be really, really, really hard to put back in the bottle um, when we get to the other side of this. At least I hope it is. <laughs> I don't want that put back in the bottle. So that's my, that's my big lesson. Lots of small so ones there. C certainly. And so, Stephen, what about you? Same question. What, what's something that you're taking away from this conference or, or maybe the most important thing that you learned in the past few days? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that really struck me hearing some of the things that are happening around the country is that uh, lawyers are going to lose their monopoly on providing legal services to people sooner than I expected. Um, I think like one of the sessions with the Utah Regulatory Sandbox was was really impressive to see that the way that they're taking a, an, a, an appropriately uh, slow approach, but a uh, really progressive approach in, in getting people access to legal services in a way that will expand the pe ability of people to get access to justice in a way that I, I didn't expect it to happen that quickly. Um, and it's really an advocacy issue that I think here in Ohio is something that we need to start looking at more closely. So we've got energy, the toothpaste can't get put back in the tube, uh, momentum for regulatory reform. Alenia, what about yourself? So I, I think it, it sort of mirrors what was said, but it's that the change that we've seen, you know, granularly in our, my organization is really across the board. And, and the thing that surprised me and sort of impressed me the most is the way that courts are embracing this, because 
um, you know, lawyers just took a huge leap forward. I think we skipped 10 years and, and packed it all. And I think I heard that in one of the sessions and packed it all into a very short period of time. Um, and when we're a profession that tends to sort of be a, a change averse, and this has shown us that change is not that scary and it's happening across the board in all these different aspects of the, the legal profession. Um, so that was my big takeaway that sort of the change is here and I think the change is lasting. So, I mean, definitely then a theme across all of you for, for what you saw and what you're taking away from the past few days. Um, to maybe dig a little bit deeper, how do we know how lasting and real uh, the various uh, topics you uh, say are happening are in fact happening, right? Because ITC in a certain way is the choir, right? These are the early adopting legal aid attorneys that see a reason to adopt technology, see the reason for regulatory reform. How do we know this isn't just uh, us as, as the choir preaching to each other and in fact, we are looking at something uh, more lasting. Alani, I'll start with you. So I, I think it mirrors something again that, that we've seen at our, my organization. One of my goals for 2020 was to get us to use things like um, uh, Teams and chat and all of that more as internal channels of communication. And I basically got a chuckle from our executive team saying, okay, good luck because people hate that. And now everybody's using it and sort of loves it. And I think that the, the reason that that works and the reason that I heard it in so many sessions is because of outcomes. People have seen the outcomes. They had to embrace the change. That's the hard part. But the outcomes are what's changing the way I think we'll make the change long term. In one of the sessions, I heard that I believe it was in Arizona, 80% of uh, tenants who were filed had an eviction filed against them defaulted ordinarily. And they've changed to virtual, this virtual environment, and now 20% get defaulted against. I mean, that's a huge number. So it's the, it's the, the outcomes and the long lasting sort of results that I think will make this stick. And, and Stephen, what about you? What, what's the evidence that you're seeing that it's not just, um, I don't know, for me, this conference is often my Twitter feed in real life. And so I worry that I'm not getting the, the full um, breadth of opinions that might be out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how we know we're not preaching to the choir. And I think, and, and I, I think to some extent we, ha we are preaching to the choir um, that, that the ITC community is really on the cutting edge. Um, and so I think one of the things that has come out of the pandemic in my mind is that, you know, we, we've done so much to develop tools and processes and collaboration with courts to increase access to justice, but it's always been done in a partnership model. And I think the pandemic has really shown how there are a lot of courts still who uh, are, are unwilling and, and uninterested in opening their doors to, to the client community who really need access to justice. And I, I think the, the, one of the takeaways for me is that I think we really need to be taking a much more adversarial or advocacy approach with the courts who we're not partnering with, that we've done such a good job partnering with the ones who are open and willing, and, and we really need to, to focus some of our energy on, on those who are less willing maybe. And now, Kat, you have a different perspective here because you're in academia, but also uh, a, a practicing lawyer as well. How are you seeing these changes in your professional neck of the woods? Gee, so, well, it's as simple as um, the content of the emails that I get on my local county bar association listserv. Um, the, I mean, we have e-filing in my district in Tennessee that I don't, that would not have happened. And it went to email filing emergency and now there's real e-filing. 
And that happened almost overnight because it had to happen. And so I think that's evidence that um, folks can change and effectively and actually quickly. And the bottom line is, there are a lot of things that we know need to change. It's not like we need to study, oh, what should we change? <laughs> um, we've done a lot of that. Just pick up um, LSE or the ABA's 2016 profile the profession or 2020 profile the profession or the future of the delivery legal services from 2016. We've known for a while. Um, so I think what I'm seeing now and what we must see more of, and I think this speaks directly to what can the passionate choir of folks who gather at ITC do, and that is lead. We need leaders. We need leaders who have no power, but lead simply by their example. We need leaders who have explicit power um, to lead us, to be courageous, to be brave. I think we need folks to model what Chief Justice Bridget McCormick is doing in Michigan. And, and you know, frankly, she um, is, is modeling what we need to see on every level, in every state, and at the federal level. And I think we have a whole lot of models of people who do that in their daily existence. And I think we need to be paying more attention and um, you know, following people's lead. And I just urge every single one of you who has really engaged here over the past few days to take this energy and go do something <laughs> when this is all over. Like let the momentum of this carry you into some kind of action that you can take in your daily existence. And there is something you can do, again, whether you have explicit power or not. Look, I am a completely powerless person, aside maybe the dominion I have over my students in the classroom for 13 weeks in a given semester, and that's um, very tenuous power. <laughs> um, and I commit every day to getting up and doing what's within my control to lead in some respect, and every single one of us can do that. So I'll step off my soapbox now. Well, I want to stay with you for just a second, because this idea of leadership is important. And I do hope that people that are listening um, are, are, are taking that to heart. But I, you, as you just said, you spend uh, 13 weeks a semester with the future of the profession. Uh, wh what are you doing to make sure that they know that this is a role that they need to take up as well when they come into practice? So if my course evaluations are anything to go by, and that's, that's, um, but there are students who essentially said that I scared the hell out of them by giving them a very realistic understanding of the challenges that our profession faces. And then I gave them optimism that they have the power and control to make things different. And, you know, I think that's a recipe for, motivating this new generation of lawyers who frankly are coming into this profession with two things that are different. One, they have a different mindset. Um, there are generational differences, which um, we can argue about whether that's good or bad, but it is. And so let's acknowledge that. Two, they have the benefit of all of this data that clearly explains to us what needs to change. And we really, even though we've been building this um, for a few years, like it's, I think it's reaching this fever pitch. And so my mission, my personal mission that I've given myself is to make sure that my students 
understand the mission before them. And then I do my best to empower them to be the change that our system of justice, the rule of law in this country so desperately needs. And I think it reaches a lot of them. And I'm by no means the only person doing this. I think anyone in a classroom in a law school who is taking their charge seriously is doing this in their little corner of, of what they teach. Um, I just have the luxury, frankly, of um, being able to study specifically how do I empower my students to be the change. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful, but they care deeply and they're paying attention. They're not jaded yet <laughs> and they're paying attention and um, they want to be part of the change. And I think that um, it, it is incumbent upon us already in the profession at all levels to lead the way. So that's, you know, that's part of our charge, I think. So Stephen Katz clearly making a, a full-throated call to take from this uh, last four days uh, and morph it into a form of leadership back in our respective communities. Um, you lead a legal aid organization in Akron, Ohio. I'm curious, now that we're at the end of this conference, you've learned what you've learned, including the, the comments you made about regulatory reform. What does translating the things that you've learned look like when you go back to the office tomorrow or you know, wherever your office may be yeah, in these uncertain I, times? Yeah, I think um, we have almost been, and bifurcated our, the, the work we do. Like if, so if you're talking, there's a whole community of people that deal with technology and access and courts and uh, they all come to ITC. And then there's a whole group of attorneys who are focused on people getting quality housing and um, making sure housing authorities don't, don't uh, deny people their rights and get records sealed. Uh, and they're not, they don't think of the access to justice side of it. And they're really great advocates. And I think tapping into their expertise and advocacy skills to, to drive home to the, to the, to the larger legal community and the courts, the, the critical importance of this work and, and making it much less comfortable for the courts who don't see the value and the need to really change the way we do business. Uh, is, is how I think we're going to deal with it. And uh, Elena, a similar but maybe slightly different question for you as you take what you learned over the past few days back uh, to your community in Miami. Uh, where do you expect the resistance to be? Like, where, where are the challenges that you foresee um, getting from where we are now and the ideas you have to where you would like to be? Um, I think the biggest blind spot that can happen when you're thinking about technology is the people, how hard it is to change behavior, how hard it is to have people let go of assumptions. Um, and so one of the sessions that I attended and one of the things that I really, I, I believe in, and I think it's great that it was being discussed here is that we have to stop thinking of technology as something that lives outside of what we do. And we can sort of just pull in when we need it. We have to bake it into our work. It has to be at every step of our strategic planning, priority setting, community outreach, engagement with the courts, at, at everything that we do, um, technology has to be there. It is a tool, but it has to be a part of the process because it often is the tool that can fix the pain points and can resolve issues. Um, and I think the one thing that we all know, and, and I don't mean to sort of say we've not been talking about it, but the other big thing that is in the room at all times is the digital divide. And all of this is great, but we have to really think also about our clients and how 
how we as a community need to bridge that gap so that all of these tools and all these things that can really increase access to justice, increase our productivity, increase our efficiency, don't leave the clients out of the conversation and really make it a viable tool for them. My, my first ITC was five or six years ago. It was San Antonio, whichever year that was. And I was asked uh, to, to speak on this kind of grab bag panel. And I didn't know this community at that time. And I presented on uh, search engine optimization to an audience that was not ready for me to come in and just start talking about like internet marketing techniques. And then this year I sat in on two different uh, panels that were just focused basically on optimizing websites for search engine results. Um, so it, it's an amazing trajectory since I missed that mark five or six years ago and the change that's happened. I, I'm curious though, as you popped in and out of panels over the last couple of days, did you see anything or hear anything talked about that was too futuristic, too out of reach for where your organizations are now? Stephen, I'll start with you. Um, well, I, I, well, okay, almost everything was out of reach for us. <laughs> I mean, because a lot of, I mean, a lot of the ideas that people are talking about are, um, they're, they're, they require a lot of investment and a lot of energy to, to get going. And so I, I think that then that's one of the great things I think about ITC is it's, it's a, it's a place to learn about all sorts of things, but they, I, most of the new projects that I heard about today are things that would take us years to implement effectively, which isn't a bad thing, but that, I think that's just the practical reality. Um, there, there was a lot less talk about AI this year than, than there has been in the past. <laughs> um, which was uh, interesting, but that that is interesting. Perhaps because of the pandemic, we just had to deal with the where the rubber met the road, and that was going to be Zoom. It was going to be Slack channels. Yeah. It was going to be as Cat mentioned in her district, uh, email filing turning into to e filing. So the the futuristic uh, AI models that have captured our attention for the last year seemed a little bit yeah. less pressing, perhaps. Um, one thing I wanted to do. And this is basically a me question, perhaps no one else feels this way, but I wanted to take a step back and kind of contextualize this conference in these four days in what is quite the national moment that we're all living through. We are, we, it's a turbulent time, right? To say the least, there is a pandemic, a recession, there are threats to democracy and the rule of law in ways that um, are, are not really replicable in, in any of our, uh, our, time, our, our life spans up to this point. Um, and so at times I felt like, I don't know about everybody else, but I certainly had, you know, the second impeachment trial in as many years on one side of my screen and ITC on the other side of my screen. And I was having these moments and like, these things at ITC are important, but it was really, I was struggling to contextualize them within this plethora of existential crises that we are currently experiencing as a country. And so Kat, I'll start with you and then others can jump in. Uh, how do you, contextualize the topics that we are discussing at ITC with these larger national issues that are swirling around us? Yes, yeah, so um, that's actually the perfect opening for um, something I hoped we would be able to discuss. And so when I kind of pull back and take a 30,000 foot overview, least of the sessions that I was able to um, watch and participate in, I saw some themes. And I think the themes actually speak to mindsets that 
um, are relevant to, frankly, all the challenges we're facing, not just those immediate challenges relevant to the folks at this conference, but all of the big challenges that you just identified. So one of them is radical collaboration, or I'll just say collaboration. I don't want to scare people with the word radical, but I think it is radical because um, if you just look at across everything right now, um, such, we're not, we have no successful collaboration happening anywhere, right? Like that really describes um, so many divides that we currently are experiencing. And so we can look at that from um, a 30,000 foot view and we can really go in. And, and I think this also speaks to, um, you know, the fact that there are these mindsets that we can take away from the experience that don't necessarily require investment resources, launching a new project, like um, applying the concept, baking into your process, um, true collaboration, not just with the people in your office, but reaching out, collaborating with the court system, collaborating with community service agents, agencies. How can we model the behavior that we want to see from the people who are leading our country, right? So radical collaboration. I think another one is experimentation. Um, I, you know, got to see all these case studies of, of these basically experiments that are happening around the country um, to use technology to serve people and to empower them to serve their themselves in our legal system. And so I think um, we need, I think embracing experimentation to try different ways to fix not only the problems within our immediate purview, but the problems writ large that we're facing in society. And finally, a takeaway for me, and I think this is relevant to all the big problems as well, is feedback. Um, it is such an incredibly simple tool to ask, ask your users, how are you experiencing this service? How are you experiencing this whatever? And what can you share with me? Listen, and then do something with that. And we are terrible at that. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's because we don't care. And I'm speaking about our immediate community. I'm not speaking about the general sort of societal community at this point. I don't think it's because we're intentional or we intentionally don't care, but we just, we don't bake it into our processes. And I heard feedback discussed. That was a running thing across everything. So I would say those three, I call them kind of mindsets, tools, if we could embrace those. And again, like live those in the space that we can control. Um, I think that we're modeling behavior that we need to see across the spectrum. Certainly in a time of, of deep division across the country, the idea of collaboration, feedback, better communication, these all seem to meet the moment or what we need to meet the moment that we're currently in. Stephen, I, I wonder if you have anything to add um, from, from your perspective, contextualizing our moment. Yeah, I, you know, I, the, the service area we cover eight counties in Northeast Ohio is, includes Akron and Canton and Youngstown really post-industrial uh, Rust Belt communities that have really struggled. Um, and, and a lot of what's happened in the last four years has, has been uh, th this part of, the, of Ohio has really shifted its, its political allegiances um, as, as a result of, of all that's happened in the last few years. And I think from, from a legal aid perspective, you know, that we we tend to, to talk about things in progressive ways, you know, access to justice and helping low-income people. And, 
And I, I think our message can be done in a very populist way, that, that what we're doing is helping all of the people who felt so disenfranchised the last four years um, to that, that, they, that they voted the way they wanted to vote. I'm, I'm, I'm critical of them, obviously, um, but that, that we're not so different in terms of what we want. And, and I think there's a, a real opportunity for us to, to bridge that, that divide by speaking to them in their language, just like we speak to immigrants in their language. We need to speak to people who, who, who really struggling to find their place in America in, in their language in a way that we, and we can help them make their lives better. And, and again, going back to this uh, theme of, of communication that, that Kat um, started on and then here, thinking about the language that we're using Alania, uh, anything to add on this particular contextualizing question? Sure. Um, I think the the other piece of this that I think is important with technology in particular is to think of it's not all or, all or nothing. It doesn't have to completely be a success or completely be a failure. There's gray area and there's places in the middle where we can try things and say, you know, we've always done it this way is maybe not good enough, but people are scared of change. And so finding that spectrum of, of where we can meet in the middle, try things out, and it doesn't have to be a, a shiny success or a terrible failure. There can be nuance and things that we learn from that middle area. Without it, and it seems like the nationally, like this is a time for change, whether uh, we agree with the type of change that's being called for or not, people seem hungry for something different. And so I, th I think that all those answers were great. Actually, that's super helpful. I, this was like the one question I didn't have a personal answer for. So I'm going to individually steal yours and, and use them later. So I appreciate that. Um, and, and the last few minutes that we have, I, I wanted to end by looking forward. We, we spent a lot of time talking about kind of where we're at now and where we've been the last couple of days. Um, and I'm going to ask a question that Kristen Sande at Paladin through me sometime last year, and it's really just consumed all of my time, uh, which has all been by myself in quarantine, um, which is uh, thinking about where we're gonna be in 2030 uh, and, and not thinking about what's next in you know, the next six months or the next few weeks, but rather this idea of a moonshot for legal aid, like what's the big radical, going back to the word Kat didn't wanna use, but I think is it appropriate here, uh, idea, the, the exceptionally ambitious idea that over this next decade that we have in front of us, um, that you would like to see take root, start the conversation. Um, I'm hoping to give you guys that platform now to, to get us to 2030 um, in, in the last few minutes that we have. Um, Alania, I'll start with you. Sure, I guess, um... You know, we, we're sort of talking now about remote clinics or virtual virtual clinics, but really a lot of it is just remote clinics. And I think it, where I see us in 10 years is really things truly being virtual and sort of divorcing the legal need from the space so that services can sort of be provided from anywhere to anyone, anywhere, um, and really using sort of a virtual environment versus a brick and mortar or tied to location. That That's where I think that the big leap is for us uh, because we are so tied to you know, down to granular county or specific court level and being able to really uh, untie ourselves from that. Okay, so getting rid of going virtual and continuing that process. Stephen, what about you? What are you going to be thinking about? Well, hopefully we won't be talking about COVID-29 um, in 2030, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I think, I, I, you know, I mentioned AI earlier. I, I think that that's an area that's really going to do a lot to transform the work we do. Um, Again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about um, 
courts and legal aids working together to build these AI systems with automated forms and live virtual assistants with people who are in the courtroom that they can reference during a hearing. And I mean, I think the technology is advancing so quickly that that will be there at that point. Um, and you know, be sort of laughing at the stuff we're doing now. Um, so I, 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 I'm pretty hoping. optimistic. Yeah. And Kat, what about you? What are you thinking about for 2030? So my answer was inspired by one of the sessions I watched on legal empowerment. And um, that really was a light bulb moment for me. I've been studying community-led justice. And so um, I really put two and two together as I was listening to that session. And it occurred to me, like the epiphany was that the we all know that lawyers cannot meet the need, right? We, we have to admit at this point um, that lawyers alone can't meet the need. One-to-one -one service is never going to meet the vast need that we have. And so I believe our ethical obligation as the only people who control the system that we inhabit and that I believe is the operating system for our society is to empower people to help themselves. And so what I hope happens is that we put as much effort into creating tools to empower people to help themselves as we put into tools to empower lawyers to help people. And until we make that change and until we commit to that, you know, <laughs> we're not going to have, we're not going to solve the problem. We're just not. Um, our system can't move fast enough. And so it is really on the people who have the individual power to decide, how can I use my time as a trained lawyer? Do I use it in, in six minute increments to do give one-to-one -one service? Or do I use it to create a tool that amplifies my expertise and empowers regular people to solve their own problems? I think the answer is clear. I think lawyers don't like the answer. I think it makes most people very uncomfortable and I think it's one of the only solutions to the problem that we face. Scalability, AI, virtual practices. I was hoping someone was going to go hologram hearings, but maybe next year we'll have that discussion. Well, with that glimpse into what we'll be talking about at future ITCs, I'd like to thank Kat, Elenia, and Stephen for being with us on Talk Justice. Uh, if you like what you heard, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone who made this conference possible. For Talk Justice, I'm Jason Tesche. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on the podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.